In your Bibles, please, uh, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Continuing our short series on the marks of a Christ-exalting church. We exist to exalt Christ by making disciples in this neighborhood, this city, and this world. That's who we are. That's why we're here. One way that we can do that is by promoting a discipleship culture here at Redeemer Bible Church. If you have your bulletin, you'll notice again that on the left side of on the inside on the left leaf of that bulletin where it says our DNA, one part of our DNA, one part that makes us who we are as a church. And what we want to strive for is this discipleship culture. It's this conviction that we must develop the next generation of disciple-making disciples. Disciple-making disciples, not just something where it ends in a generation. This must continue. Therefore, we will cultivate and maintain a culture of discipleship where Older men and older women will invest in younger men and younger women, both in age and in just life experience and in the faith. It's not just an age thing. Disciplers will teach faithful disciples, faithful disciples, who will then be able to teach others. And what's taught is life and faith. This culture of discipleship will spread to all ministries within the church. So that we train the next generation of ministry leaders and workers. We need to have the expectation that God will grow us as a church. We need to be ready for that growth. This is Christ's plan for the church. That he will build it and nothing can oppose it. Colossians 3.16 I don't think I read it, did I? I'm excited. Um, Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The title of this message is discipleship culture. Oh, excuse me. It's not. It's joining Jesus' plan. It's joining Jesus' plan. Uh, My purpose this morning, dear saints, is that you would participate. That you would participate in speaking the word of Christ to the church. That you would do it. What's your favorite sport to watch? Baseball? Basketball, football, if it's hockey, I'll pray for you. What's your favorite sport? I I like to watch basketball, it's fun. Um, If you've ever gone to any sporting event, it's just something about being there, right? Where you're, you're with the crowd and you're cheering your team on. And you get to see in person just these athletes do amazing things in the sport. But when you go to a game, 
Nobody expects you to come down off the bleachers and participate. They just expect you to sit there, eat your hot dog or whatever, and cheer the team on. That's the only expectation. It's a spectator sport, right? To be a fan of a team is a spectator sport. But what about Christianity? What about the Christian life? Is that a spectator sport? Is church something where you just come and sit down and observe and just cheer on? But you don't actually get out of your seat and participate like these sports? Christ's plan for the church is that you would play a vital role in the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month activities of the church. That you would have a vital role in the growth and the health of the local church. First, you must join the body. Join the body. Notice what Christ commands of his people. We read it earlier, beginning in verse 12. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, put on a heart of of kindness, put on a heart of humility, put on a heart of gentleness, put on a heart of patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you, implied, forgive them. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let, this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, excuse me, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. With, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is what Christ commands you to do. He commands you, Christian, each one of you, to be clothed with compassion. To be a people that are kind and humble and gentle and patient. To be a people that are bearing with one another. To be a a group of people that are forgiving each other. That are loving each other sacrificially. A people that are seeking the peace of Christ with each other together. A people that are thankful. A people that are, are saturated with the word of Christ. Not only this, but a people that are teaching one another. And admonishing one another. And singing to each other, all for Christ's glory, all for the glory of our Savior. This is what God calls you to do. It says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, this is what you are to do. God chose you, Christian. From the foundations of the earth, 
before a single atom was made by his creative power, he chose you in his infinite and eternal love. He set you apart in his mind. He predestined you to be his child so that you would be holy and beloved of his. He chose you to be holy. That is set apart. That is different from everybody else. There should be a difference in your life than in the life of an unbeliever. That's why he chose you. That's the result. And he chose you in love. Holy and beloved. Christian, God in his sovereign grace set his love and affection on you. As you were lying there dead in your helpless state. In your sinful depravity. In your inability to come to him. He came to you. See he had to come to you. He had to love you first. For you to ever love him. He had to. And that makes us a thankful people. Right? That's where this ends up. We are a thankful people because we know if he had not loved us first, we would not love him. We wouldn't experience the grace of our God had he not moved and chosen us first. This doctrine of election rubs some people the wrong way. But every time there is this language of choosing or electing or predestining, it is always coupled with this truth of love. It's a loving thing that God chose us. You see, if God had not chosen us in his love, then we would all end up under his wrath for all eternity. The sinner refuses God. The sinner refuses to have a relationship with the Lord. In their sin... They love the darkness rather than the light. There is no searching for God on his terms. There is no desire to seek forgiveness. None of that is possible. God must move first. So we ought to be a thankful people. That God chose us. That he loved us. That he set us apart from the rest of humanity. You're special to him. I liken it to a a china cabinet. If you've ever seen a china cabinet in somebody's home, it's glass doors, sometimes lights inside, glass shelves, so that the light permeates throughout the whole cabinet, and they display these beautiful, ornate, um, fine china dishes and silverware and cups and things like that and they're beautiful and 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 what's interesting about a china cabinet and the things in it that's not what you use on a tuesday night to heat up your microwavable burrito right that's not where you go you go to the paper plates in the other cabinet that's hidden in the back of the kitchen what's stunning 
about the sovereign grace of God is that we are those paper plates. We are the common vessels. We are the common people of the world. We are sinners. And yet God takes us and puts us in the china cabinet. We're still paper plates. But he, but he sets us apart. Sinners that we are. That's the sovereign grace of God. Why? Why would he do that? So that you would be holy and beloved people. As that kind of person. As one that has experienced this grace of God. And as one who has been set apart by God in that china cabinet. And, and, and loved by him. He has things for you to do. We ought to have a heart of compassion. Kindness and humility. Gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another. One another forgiving each other, and so on. Notice, all of these things have to do with our relationships with one another. All of them. Compassion towards one another. Kindness towards one another. Humility towards one another. Gentleness towards one another. Patience with one another. Bearing with one another. It says it right there. Forgiving one another. All of these things, love, peace, they all are experienced in the context of community. For you to experience these things in the life of the church and to be blessed by love, patience, kindness, compassion, you want to experience those things, you have to join the body. What does that mean? One, you've got to be a Christian. If you want to experience these things, you have to be a believer. Because the unbeliever does not prize these things. Not the way that God describes them. Not only this, but this also means that you must be part of a local church. That's why we have forms in the back on that bookshelf. We have forms if you want to become a member. You fill one of those out, and we'll get in touch with you. It's very simple. You just fill it out, fold it up, and you put it in that offering box on the back wall. Join us here. Join this body if you want to experience these things. Now, it's not going to be perfect, right? Because it says forgiving each other. So you'll experience the forgiveness of others, but yet at the same time, you're going to need other people to, you're going to need to forgive them, right? So that means you're going to also experience sin from one, from one another. That's just the part, that's just part of being part of the body of Christ. I, yes, I'm thankful that you get to forgive me, but man, I don't want to forgive you. See, that's not how it goes in the body. There is this Give and take this mutual fellowship, this mutual sharing of all the things that we have in Christ. Now, in the church, we have this joyful opportunity to do these things for others as well as receive them from others. This, I ha we have to say this. This can't happen as well 
through Zoom. This cannot happen as well through a screen. Now, praise the Lord for technology. Praise God that, that we can uh, use technology to advance the gospel and to spread the word and to be connected in some way with each other. But you have to think about the historical context of this passage. They didn't have any of that, right? They didn't have, you know, uh, uh, Zoom. They didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have instant text, instant communication. They had to make an effort to be with one another. That is where, that is the historical context in which the early church was born. And so, yes, we can use technology to fellowship and to catch up with one another, but there is something about being together that is completely different than a phone call or communication through a screen. There is something different. There is even something different in the preaching of the Word of God when you're actually there. There is. There, there's an old um, pastor who found out that his, this is before technology, who found out that his sermons were being uh, transcribed and reproduced and, and sent out in these pamphlets, sermons on, on paper. And what was happening was his members of his church were finding those pamphlets, reading them at home on a Sunday instead of going to church and gathering. That pastor said, I forbid you to write my sermons down. At the expense of, of, of propagating his fame and his, his notoriety, his uh, 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 popularity, at the expense of that, his, his words being reproduced and mass-produced to the masses, he said, I would rather not have a name, I'd rather not have this publication of my sermons if I can just have my people there. There is something different about being with God's people. There is. And we should not be comfortable with streaming a service. That should be a last resort. It should. Now we praise God that it is a possible last resort, that we can do that. We praise God for that. But it is a last resort. If you are not with God's people, then you are missing out. And especially during this time, I understand that there are some who ought not to be here. And we praise God that they are able to join us or at least watch in uh, through technology. I praise God for that. But if I call you and I ask you how you're doing, your answer, honestly, should not really be great. It should be I mourn and I grieve week to week because I can't be with God's people right now. 
That should be our response. This time should be that sacred in the life of the Christian. Absolutely. Now, again, we thank God for the opportunity and the availability of technology to where it alleviates a little bit of that grief, a little bit of that distance, but it should still be there. We should still feel like something is missing because it is. We ought not to be comfortable long-term with streaming a service. I'm telling you, there's coming a day and I pray it's this, this year. There's coming a day when all those excuses of coronavirus are gone. I, I am convinced that God is purifying his church. And that he is showing who is in and who is out. I'm convinced of that. But that won't be absolutely clear, I believe, until all the excuses are gone. And Christian, you need to come to grips with Am I in or am I out? Am I part of the body or am I not? Am I a Christian or am I not? Because if I can just go week to week, year to year, absent from the body of Christ, and I'm, and I'm not doing too bad, I feel, then you may be spiritually dead. So I would beseech you to pray And ask God to minister to you during this time if you can't be with us in person. Because we need it. You need it. Join the body. Secondly, join the dialogue. Join the dialogue. This is where we get into actually verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And I would say there's a break. With, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And then, a separate thought, yet related, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I would take those two, the uh, teaching and admonishing, as separate yet related from the singing. Both are the result of the word of Christ richly dwelling within you. This is, this is showing us that the central theme of your speech should be Christ. Richly dwell means, uh, to, to dwell means to inhabit, to take up residence, to, to settle in. This word richly, to, to richly dwell, it just intensifies that idea, right? It, it, this, this is talking about saturation. Or for your, your scientific geeks, super saturation. This is being so filled with the word of Christ that verses just come to mind as you're talking with somebody. Verses and passages come to mind throughout the day as you're commuting to work or washing the dishes. Bible words come from your mouth in conversations. Throughout the day, you are meditating on the Word of God throughout the day. 
To meditate on the Word of God doesn't mean this Eastern idea of meditation, to empty the mind. Meditation in the Word of God biblically, to meditate on the Word of God, is to fill the mind, not empty the mind. Fill the mind with the Word of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. This is... This word of Christ is the word of God. It is the Bible. Because all scripture is Christ-centered, because it all, it all is focusing, either pointing to or pointing back to or explaining the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is all the word of Christ. Genesis 1 is the word of Christ, just as much as Matthew 1 is. The truths of scripture ought to permeate every aspect of your life, Christian. It says, let this happen. Don't get in the way. In your, in your laziness, in your, in your apathy, in your uh, lack of, of, of motivation, don't let that stuff get in the way of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't let other things, don't let entertainment, Rest, any other thing, get in the way of being saturated in the Word of God. Be, it, be in it every day, Christian. This must happen. This is, this is why God called you, so that you would be in His Word. Not just to learn data, but to learn Him, because it is the Word of Christ. It is all about Him. The person, your Savior. Now, what's the result of us being saturated with the Word of God, the Word of Christ, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another? That's the result. To admonish means to warn, and to teach means to instruct. This pair is valuable to, to tell you what you're doing wrong, and then to help you know what the right thing is to do. That is admonish and teach. Admonish is getting in the way, and teaching is showing the way. The Word of God is meant to admonish and teach you in your day-to-day life. As you read God's Word, as we speak to one another, there should be this experience of, of, of God's word getting in the way of my sin, telling me to stop. Stop it. My pride, my selfishness, my, my bitterness, my, my waywardness, my laziness, my drifting and, and loving other things besides the Lord. The Word of God should should come into your life and say, Stop! You're going the wrong way. That's what it does. And I shouldn't be the only one to say, Stop. Brothers and sisters, it says, Teaching and admonishing one another. One another. That means... You should be saying stop to somebody. You should be saying this way to somebody. 
in the local church. This is the expectation. This is discipleship culture where we are are learning and teaching at the same time those around us. Again, to teach is to instruct. It's it's talking about somebody's beliefs. It's talking about what somebody knows, their knowledge. We are to, to, to influence and change even and mold the beliefs and the knowledge of people according to the Word of God. We are to align each other's minds to the truth of Scripture because that is the straight marker that we need to line up to. Admonish, again, means to warn. It's usually talking about the actions of somebody. So teaching is talking about the beliefs and the knowledge. Admonishing is talking about the actions. You're doing the wrong thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, admonishing is, is meant to be given to the unruly or the undisciplined. It is to warn. If you continue down this road, it is pain, it is destruction, it is grief. God is not at the end of where you're going. You're going the wrong way. Turn now. Repent. That's the idea of repentance. Turn away from where you're going. Turn towards God. That's repentance. We ought to be doing that to each other. Notice with me, if you would, turn to chapter 1. Keep your hand here in chapter 3, Colossians 3, but go to Colossians 1. It says in verse 28, this is Paul the Apostle and his ministry associates, right? These are the leaders of ministry. Look what they're doing. He says, we proclaim him, Jesus Christ. And look how. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So this is the responsibility of your leader. This is my responsibility to admonish and teach. This is the responsibility of elders to admonish and teach. This is the responsibility of ministry leaders, of parents to their children, to admonish and teach. But back in Colossians 3, it says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So not only is this coming from the top down, this is going from side to side. This is this is happening amongst you without me having a part in it. You see, this is your conversations that you're having during the week. This should be happening. Christ calls every Christian, including you, to be involved in this wise applying of Scripture to life kind of speech. That's what it means when it says, with all wisdom, admonishing and teaching. It's it's wisely applying the truths of Scripture to life. That's all wisdom is. 
And so if I've read the Bible today, I got something to say, right? If I am, if I am letting the, spirit of, the, the, the word of Christ dwell within me, I got something to say today to you, right? So this assumes that you're in the word. Now, if you're not in the word, and if you don't care what the Bible says, please don't teach, please don't admonish, okay? Because you're going to teach heresy. You're going to teach man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. But if you know the word of God, if you can open the Bible, and if you can just read the, pages, the words that are in front of you on the page, you got something to say. You do. We all need to take part. Now, lastly, join the work. Join the work. So join the body. Join the dialogue with one another. Join the work. Now, let me ask you, what would you say to somebody who, who, who doesn't uh, see the need of serving in ministry? You have a friend or a family member or a brother or sister in Christ here at Redeemer Bible Church. What would you say if, if, you, if in conversation they say, I just don't think I need to serve? Or I, 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 don't, I don't think I, you know, I just don't have time right now. What would you say to that person? What would you say to somebody that is uh, intimidated to grow in knowledge of doctrine, who, who, who sees equipping hour on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock? Shameless plug. Somebody who, what would you say to somebody who says, you know, that's for the, the next level. That's for the elite, not for me. What would you say to somebody that um, feels powerless to overcome sin in their life? They're enslaved to this certain sin and, and they keep on falling into it. What would you say to them? What would you say to somebody who is overwhelmed by trials of life and difficulty and just, is just ready to give up? Whether, it, whether it's give up on life or give up on their job, or give up on their marriage, or whatever it might be, just give up on the Lord. What would you say? What would you say to somebody that is impatient with their children, or harsh with their spouse? What would you say to somebody who has no joy in the Lord? Don't we feel inadequate for these things? You might say, well, see, that's exactly the, my point, Pastor. I, I don't know what to say. That's why you're here. Look with me again, verse 12 and 13. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, let just... As the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive one another. You see, you are not called to be perfect. You are not called to be ready first and then teach and admonish one another. It doesn't say that. The people in verse 16 who are commanded to let the word of Christ dwell within you richly and then shown how to interact with each other by teaching and admonishing one another, those people are the same people giving and receiving forgiveness 
in verse 12 and 13. Those are the people that are bearing with people and being born, as it were, that are needing the patience of others. They are the ones who have a complaint against somebody and have a complaint against them. They are the ones that are giving compassion and needing compassion. Giving kindness and needing kindness. Giving humility and needing humility. You see, the people that are part of the body of Christ, that God uses to teach and admonish one another in the word of Christ, those are the people that are regularly, often, forgiving and needing forgiveness. Regularly failing. Can I put it plainly? Those are the people that are sinning from time to time. If you're in sin and unrepentant, then, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's just going to be one way, right? I'm going to minister to you, and we're going to try and get victory over this. But all of us, we know we sin. And we need forgiveness. We need patience. And yet, God says, I want to use you. You just had to ask forgiveness of your wife today. I still want to use you today. Isn't that amazing? Stunning. These are the kinds of people that God uses. Those that are forgiving and being forgiven. Those that are giving and receiving patience, long-suffering, and forgiveness. So no, you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. So, there's no more excuses, are there? Right? Right? There's no more excuses, are there? Say, well, I got you know, to get my life together. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just got to read the Bible, and you got to be part of the church, and God will use you. Feel like a crooked stick? Good, because God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for choosing us out of your grace, and then for using us out of your grace. Oh God, you're so kind. You set us apart from the rest of creation. You set your love on us in Christ. And then you don't just put us in the back. You don't just put us in the back shelf. You put us on display. You put us in the ministry. You put us in your body to be used to promote the health and the growth of your church. You use us, weak vessels, broken vessels. That's who you use. And it's so that all glory would go to you, Lord Jesus. It would prove your power. It would prove that you're enough, that it doesn't matter who we are. It matters who we have. God, may we give each other Christ, I pray. Help us to worship now. In Christ's name, amen.